This is the Best of the Adam Gold Show podcast, brought to you by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. Dan Lust with Conduct Detrimental, the podcast, a, an attorney based in the New York area. You, you've heard him on ESPN and Fox all over the place. Uh, and we've got a lot of stuff because um, I read the story on Wednesday and I was intrigued when a federal judge in West Virginia, district court judge, I guess, uh, in the, uh, the northern district of West Virginia, issued a temporary restraining order that would allow all of those second-time transfers, which had been restricted uh, in many ways, and we had to deal with this in Tez Walker's case, the wide receiver for North Carolina. He lifted it, and it, there was a 14-day window that, in, like, in turn got flipped uh, into a temporary or a preliminary injunction. I don't know the difference, so walk me through what happened uh, between Wednesday and Friday when the TRO became a preliminary injunction, which I guess lengthened the time where these kids had a chance to play before any ruling. Well, unless uh, you could tell me if I'm missing an update here, but I guess part of this, which is important, we didn't quite know, right, if you're an athlete that was denied a, a basically a waiver, Right, you're in the Tez Walker situation. Tez Walker was sitting on the sideline, abiding by the NCAA's decision, and then, you know, obviously the NCAA eventually switched course, but what we had during this quote-unquote 14-day window, the NCAA not really making a firm decision on, hey, let's say an athlete plays, like a Tez Walker plays in this 14-day window, and then that decision is later overturned, does that athlete lose a year of eligibility mm-hmm. or are there other, you know, um, ramifications for playing in this kind of grace period. So the NCAA originally said, no, it's not going to be an issue. And then, you know, within, I think it was on Thursday, they turned around and said, yeah. no, we're not quite sure yet. We can't tell you if it's going to be an issue or not. So, Adam, I, I haven't heard that update yet. Have the, has the NCAA provided guidance on that, the uh, N- on that issue? I don't think they have. The NCAA has agreed to a uh, well, they agreed to a hearing on December 27th, which is probably not going to take place based on what I'm reading now. But they agreed to in the preliminary injunction to allow this grace period to go all the way through the end of the springs uh, of the spring sports season. So that's into June, I guess. Uh, so I don't think I mean uh, NC State and East Carolina, two local schools here, each had a basketball player impacted by second uh, time transfer restrictions, and they each played this weekend. Obviously, uh, a- any threat to them losing their eligibility for the year is kind of gone because they're using it, <laughs> even though they had to wait uh, almost the, they had to wait the entire semester to use it, uh, the entire fall semester. They're going to get the effective playing season back uh, by being eligible to play now. So uh, I'm not really sure what this means from the NCAA's perspective, but it does seem like uh, they they initially tried to make it so, uh, like to scare schools into not doing it. Right. And there was a brief window where they said, it's okay to play, it won't harm your eligibility. And then they walked it back for, I think, a day, and then it looks like, uh, according to that last update, they've now gone back to their prior stance saying it's going to be fine. You know, Adam, from, from a, I don't know, a, a PR standpoint, if you're not 100% sure on the decision, <laughs> you can wait on making any announcement. But, you know, at that point, once they initially said you can play, and I know there was a handful of players that had games that night that were in this kind of unique 
sitting out scenario that said, you know what, let's just play. Let's put the gun to the NCAA's head and let's force them to really now punish us. So it was a kind of a risky move, um, but it looks like it paid off. So to your, to your question about what's the difference between 14 days and some sort of temporary restraining order or a permanent injunction, um, a lot of difference, right? It's really just the, the timing that this, the thing, this thing is going to be held up. But the fact that the NCAA on their own volition is extending this from 14 days out to the end of the spring semester, that tells you that the NCA is, is kind of making it a little bit easier on the court. So temporary restraining order, preliminary injunction, they have a lot of the same functions. Maybe some states they are a little bit different, but by and large, that's the same concept. Dan Lust, Conduct Detrimental, the podcast, which is the confluence of the sport, of sports and the law, which basically is the same in so many of these cases. Now, I want to I dig down a little bit on uh, two things. First is... Um, because it has been not proven, but suggested that this is a violation of athlete of, of antitrust law, of the Sherman Act, to restrict player movement uh, based on NCAA rules, where um, there probably shouldn't be. There's no restriction of movement on coaches or other students. If the NCAA says athletes are students, why don't they have the rights of normal students? Yeah, that's, that's the question. And seven state attorney generals, New York, where I'm from, being one of them, obviously North Carolina involved as well, yep. West Virginia, um, you go down the line. It, it's a question, like, I guess let's put, it, let's put a, you know, a face on it. Let's say, Adam, you had a son who wasn't playing at a University of North Carolina, the Tar Heels, whose basketball player wasn't playing. And he took a shot and he transfers to go play for the Wolfpack at North Carolina State. Okay, let's say he's still not getting playing time and he wants to be a star on the basketball team, right? Why isn't that, according to the NTS current rules, you are not automatically allowed to transfer a third time. And let's say you think you have the ability to make a lot of money in NIL and you can't transfer out to any other school, right? You can't transfer to Duke or, or I'm just naming a lot of North Carolina. Right, of course. But like, <laughs> you know, that, that ability to transfer a third time can hurt, harm your ability to make money in this market. And if Sherman antitrust law is put into place to basically provide incentive and encourage competition and you have the NCAA, which is really the only amateur really the only college sports marketplace they are hindering competition between schools and you know what these attorney generals of these various states argue is that it's it's preventing schools from trying to lure and we'll call poach athletes from one school to another school but you know I, i think you would argue that that's not fair schools should be allowed to compete against one another and that's really the heart of this case and that's Tez Walker, who went to three different schools in those first couple of years of school, you know, obviously he had a different situation with COVID and whatnot. But, yep. you know, I, I think the schools should be allowed to compete. And that's really where this question lies. All right. So let me, let me ask this, because th- to me, this is interesting because this actually happened. And now Tez Walker, after we could say it was a threat from North Carolina Attorney General Josh Stein, or it was outside counsel that Tez Walker and his family uh, you know, retained who threatened the NCAA? Because to me, that was the new information, not anything that UNC uh, had been withholding that suddenly they provided, because that, that my understanding is that there was zero no inf- new information. It was only that we're about to sue you. Uh, maybe I guess that would classify as uh, new information. Uh, but there's a football player at Florida State, I think his name is Daryl Jackson, who didn't play at all during the regular season but is eligible to play now if he wants to for Florida State in the bowl game because the, the semester is over. Could 
Is there any legal recourse from players who did lose a uh, a semester or a year of eligibility uh, now that the restriction has been lifted? You're asking a good question, and, and the short answer is, you know, there's always. There's no bar to the courthouse steps. Anybody can sue for anything. But if you're projecting what another big one of the big lawsuits could be, I think this is one of them. Right. It's, you know, the, the stance of the NCA's change of position. So not so dissimilarly, you know, you have the NIL era that has started since July 1 of 21. Athletes mm-hmm. can make money off their name, image and likeness. There, there is a case pending right now for those athletes prior to July 1 of 21 that wanted to make money off their name, image, and likeness, but were refused to by the NCA. So you can call it back pay, right? They want money that they should have earned if the NCA had done the right thing earlier. So, yeah, put this down certainly in a category that, you know, could be subject to a lawsuit. Um, I will say that we are in the middle. You know, the NCA hasn't formally changed their position because they thought they were wrong. I think they changed it because of just, we'll say, accounting and logistics, that you can't just have a 14-day window. So they've extended it out to the spring to accommodate for what this court has done. So, but I, I do think if certainly if they win that case, right, if they win this eligibility transfer case, Josh Stein among the, you know, seven attorney generals, I do think this kind of back, we'll say it's the equivalent of back pay, but the ability to have transferred in the past, I do think that would come up, but it opens up somewhat of a can of worms because dating back, you know, 20 years, there used to be, right. You had to sit out one year if you switch to a, mm-hmm. another conference, but two years, if you switch within your own conference, <laughs> So, you know, the, the eligibility transfer rules have changed a lot over the years. Um, and then also during COVID, you know, I think the NCAA kind of threw that one-time transfer rule out the window. So it, it's a little it's a little dicier, whereas in the NIL world, it was a pretty hard-line rule. You couldn't make a dollar off your name, image, and likeness. So, yeah, but I, I certainly see with the amount of arrows pointed at the NCAA, um, this seems like one very ripe for the challenge. Dan Lust, Conduct Detrimental, the podcast. Real quick thing, and it's sort of tangentially related to what we're talking about here. Uh, is it your opinion, maybe, that the NCAA sees the courts about to declare athletes employees? Um, I certainly think they see the potential. Um, you know, you and I haven't spoke about it, but Charlie Baker's recent proposal, mm-hmm. um, you know, to basically create uh, a a subsect of division one that would separate the haves financially from the have nots, I, I think is his way of saying, you know what, we don't know what to do. If student athletes become employees, let's basically carve out a, a subsection of division one to let the schools police, police themselves to have them come up with their own rules. Because if, and when athletes are declared employees, we don't really know what to do here. <laughs> we need to empower the school. So I, I think Baker's proposal comes at a time Right. He's not just doing this out of the kindness of his heart. It's preemptive to something. And if you're taking bets on what it's preemptive for, I think it's that. I think it's, you know, any number of arrows pointed at the NCA, one of which, again, that we haven't covered is Dartmouth's basketball's attempt yeah. to unionize. Um, a, a lot of elements pointing towards student-athletes getting the right to unionize, to collectively bargain. Um, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't quite know how Charlie Baker's going to deal with that, but that's why they pay him the big bucks, and that's why they pay you and I to talk about it. So <laughs> Baker's got to figure this one out. All right, before I let you go, Dan Lust, Conduct Detrimental, the podcast. Uh, you must. Uh, it's also a website, too. Uh, do, uh, do you have any suits or hats like, that uh, you know, are similar to those of Sean Stellato, Tommy DeVito's agent? <laughs> um, 
but no hats. I do have a very uh, sharp pinstripe suit, but that only comes out for uh, a special occasions. But I do have one. I think all, all attorneys should have one heavy pinstripe suit. But, yes, I do have one of those. Good right. question. But, but thank you very much. But you don't have the hat. I think the hat is really what sells the outfit. I don't think the suits matter. I think it's the hat, which looks like it's a, at least one or two sizes too small. Uh, Dan, I appreciate your time. Uh, I'm sure uh, we, we probably won't talk until the holidays. Uh, happy holidays to you. Happy, good New Year. And I'll talk to you in 24. All good, Adam. Enjoy it to you as well. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.